I think we can, we can all agree on that when you understand the concept behind that you can do all things to Christ. And the reason why we can do that is because Christ could do all things and His Spirit lives in us. Merry Christmas, everyone, and that's why we celebrate Christmas. It's all because of what Jesus Christ has done and what God has given to us as a gift. And although Christmas season came quickly, it's here. And so with the shopping and all of that, you just got to deal with whatever you're you got to deal with. And I think for all of us, when we celebrate this time of year, it just brings that much more joy. Uh, and at the same time, it can bring that much more pain. Along with that, it can bring frustration and stress. But today, what we want to talk about is faith and truth. Because in this series, Choosing Truth, faith needs to be attached to it somehow. And we want to we find out what does faith have to do with truth. So you can take out your bulletin, and in there, there are some notes that will help you to follow along. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to uh, all of you who participated yesterday in our Spruce Up Day. Uh, some of you were not able to make it, but uh, we did our very best to spruce up the place so that, as Pastor Charlie said, as you invite people, that we're getting the home ready so that they would find Christ. That's the hope. That's why we clean up. We don't clean up because we have to. We clean up because we get to. We get to clean up for the Lord so that when he brings people, that they will be in an environment that they can receive from him. I also want to say thank you to Pastor Charlie for speaking in the past two weeks. Can we say thank you to him and Mapu for doing that? Really appreciate that. And it's tough to get back into the, you know, the habit of things. In fact, this morning... Uh, I got up, my alarm was set for 3.53, and that's when I get up on Sunday mornings. Don't ask me why 3.53, because uh, it's just a, I don't know, OCD kind of thing, maybe. So I get up this morning, and I'm thinking, why am I getting up so early? Oh, church. And I'm speaking, so I need to be here. I just needed to get back into the habit. I didn't know why I was getting up so early. And have you ever had those mornings where you're thinking, what day is it today? That's the morning I had this morning. I'm thinking, what? 3.50, why am I getting up so early? And so I, I'm, I'm glad I get to be here today, and I'm thankful that you're here. If this is your first time here today, I want to say welcome to New Hope Kilo, Hawaii. I pray that God will reveal something, that he will give you something special, because he has been preparing for this day for all of us. And so as we get into his word, just watch what he will do. As we talk about truth, it's interesting that many people have a difficult time with truth because they've actually thrown God out as the source of truth. If we understand that God is the source of truth, then we can begin with God rather than with reason. And if we begin with reason, then everyone can find enough reason to bring up their own truth. But God is the source of truth. And we want to learn from His Word what truth is all about and what exactly does it mean for faith and truth to be lined up together. And, and it leaves me with this question. What exactly is faith? But let's look at what the book of Hebrews says because it'll, it'll give us a, a specific definition on what faith is. And it's in your notes where you can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. And this is what it says about faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's something that's hoped for. You can't really see it, but there's evidence of the things that we cannot see that you're hoping for. There's a substance to it. Faith is not one of our senses, you know, taste, touch, 
uh, smell, sight, and hearing. Faith is believing in something you can't see with your eyes because there's evidence. That's, where, that's, that's how you can believe in something that you cannot see because there's evidence. So why is this subject, subject such a big deal? Why, why, why is faith and truth such a big deal? Why do we have to talk about it? Why can't we just live and then whatever happens, happens? Well, let's look at what the book of uh, Timothy says. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Here's why it's such a big deal. It says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences consciences are dead. The Bible tells us that we're going to turn away from the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, even though there's a lot of evidence to back up God's truth, people will turn away from it. And, and, and they'll turn away from it because there's a spirit that comes into a person. And when you turn away from the true faith, then to you, there's no glory to God. And when something great happens in your life that God was a part of, you don't give him glory. You say, no, no, that was just by chance. That was coincidence. There's no way that was God. No, that's karma. Because I did something great here. It came all the way around to me, and now it came back to me. No. Or you say, no, that was just, that was just luck. Oh, I, oh, you was lucky on that one. No. If you don't understand faith and truth, then you won't know how to give glory to God. You won't, you won't recognize that God was behind it. And God is saying, if you only knew the truth behind faith, you'd see that I've been there all along, that he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. But usually when you turn away from something like this, if, you're turning, if you turn away from truth, uh, the true faith, if you're, if you're turning away from something, you're usually turning towards something else. And what the Bible is saying is, if you're turning away from, this, from faith and truth and, and the true faith, then you're turning towards deceptive spirits. That's what it says. You're, you're turning towards deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Because faith and truth, they go hand in hand. Truth and faith bring balance to living a lifestyle pleasing to God. We all, we all want balance in life. We all want to live with balance. That's why when women go shopping, they have to carry two shopping bags, not just one. And then if they shop again, when they get two bags here, they got to buy another one, and they got to balance it out. The other week, I was on my laptop, and, and for a couple of months, uh, it's been giving me a difficult time with uh, the balance of sound. Only the right side speaker was working. And so I tried messing with the wire, and it wasn't working, so I thought, ah, I'll just use the speakers from the laptop. So I unplugged my earphones, and still, it was unbalanced, and I thought, okay, wiring, something's wrong with wiring. Then I thought, wait a minute. Maybe there's a, a balance in it that's left and right speakers. And sure enough, I went into the system settings, and then there it was. It was only on the right side. And so I brought it back into balance, and then I listened to music, and I was thinking, there's the surround sound. Now it sounds a lot better. And I thought, that's the lifestyle that God wants us to live. There's a life of balance with faith and truth. Otherwise, if I'm so on the right side of truth that all I want is truth, I'll use truth to point other people's faults. And I'll use truth against other people. But if I only have faith and I say, well, everything's about faith, then I can just sit around and say, no, God's going to take care of it. 
God will just take care of it. Hey, how are you doing in your marriage? Oh, it's falling apart. But God is going to take care of it. What are you doing about it? Praying. I'm praying about it. So, so are you doing anything? You're going on date nights? Oh, no, 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 no. My faith and my hope is in the Lord God Almighty. And it's going to work out together for good. You see, if you only are on one side or the other, then it just doesn't work out. Faith without works is dead. Make. It just does not exist. Faith without works is dead. So we want to bring that balance. We want to bring faith and truth together. When there's balance, then we won't justify or make excuses for our behavior that is not congruent with the Word of God. When we have that balance, then we're able to self-correct. We can say, Lord, I, I know what I'm doing, and, and I can correct it because of my faith in you and the truth of your word. And when we bring that balance, and God steps in and he says, and I can do exceedingly abundantly more than you could possibly ever imagine or even dream. See, every single one of us can have a balanced life of faith and truth by understanding these three foundational truths and statements about faith and truth. And the first one is this. If you're writing notes, the first thing is not living by his truth is not because I lack faith. Really, it's by my choice. Sometimes we think, well, I just don't have the faith required to live by his truth, so I just don't live by his truth. I don't get into the word of God because I just don't have enough faith to live by his word. No, you just choose not to. It's a choice that we make. It's not a lack of faith. That's why Jesus said, all you need is just a, a faith as small as a mustard seed. When you, when you have that kind of faith, then you can move mountains. You can do the impossible. But remember when Peter climbed out of the boat, Peter was one of Christ's disciples, and, and Jesus came out walking on the water, and then Peter said, Jesus, if that's you, bid me come. Tell me to come to you walking on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter started to walk on the water. And then he started to sink because he's looking at the waves and the wind. And Jesus immediately picks him up and he says, You little faith, why did you doubt? See, while he, while he had the faith in God and, his, and the truth that Jesus was able to keep him afloat, then he was able to do that. And Peter chose to doubt. He chose to look away from Christ. We make that choice. It's not really a lack of faith. It's we choose not to. And Christ says, if you can get back to looking to me and put your faith in me and you choose that, then everything else will keep you in my hands. I will keep you afloat. I will be the one that even though the winds and the waves crash around you, I will be the one that keeps you in my midst. Otherwise, you're going to sink. And especially during this time of year where Christmas for many people is not the greatest time of year. This might be the first holiday or the first Christmas without a loved one. It might be your first Christmas that you're wishing so-and-so was here. It may be your first Christmas apart from someone who's deployed. And now you're, you're in a, a weird season. But God says, I'm not going to leave you. I will always be there by your side. Choose to put your faith in, in God. God gives us all the evidence we need to put our faith in him. You know what is interesting? That God gives us all the evidence we need, but he will not give us all the evidence we want. Because if God gave us all the evidence we want to believe in him or to put our faith in him, then now we become God. And we start saying to God, no, if you want me to believe in you, then you need to make this happen. 
Lord, if, if you do exist, then, then why, why, why don't you do this? But if God were to do that, then he wouldn't be God. Imagine. Imagine if God, imagine if God showed us who he is and his evidence, the evidence of who he is because we wanted him to. In fact, there was someone who asked God for something and, and wanted to see God's face, and his name was Moses. In the beginning books of the Bible, Moses was someone who led the people of Israel out of the slavery of Egypt. And so Moses says to God, I want to see your face. Now, Moses could not see God's face because no one can see the face of God and live. He's just that powerful. I mean, think about it this way. If you look into a bright light, like the sun, it's hard to look at. So some of you might think, well, why can't you just look into the face of God? Well, God created the sun. God is a whole lot more powerful than the sun. So imagine looking in the face of God. So Moses says, I want to see your face. God says, cannot. I, I, got, I, I have to cover your face, and then when I pass you by, then you can see the back, but not my face. Too much glory. Now imagine if Moses said, God, I want to see your face. And God says, well, okay, I'm going to show you the evidence of who I am. Blam! And then Moses, poof! I mean, what, what would that be like? That would be kind of weird. Then all the other people would be like, okay, God, I don't like to see your face. I don't like to see your face. I don't like to look at you. It would just be, it would, God knows what he's doing. So when we say to God, well, show me, prove to me, he's not going to give us what we want. He's going to give us what we need. He's going to show us his evidence, not because of our wants, but of what we need. As Romans 1.20 puts it, it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. In other words, God says, I have given you all the evidence you need, so you don't have any excuses to put your faith in me. You don't have any excuses to put your faith in my word. I've given you enough evidence. 2 Timothy 2.19, it says, But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. It's a choice we make. We must turn away from evil and turn to the Lord. That's where faith is beginning to be built. He gives us enough evidence for us to follow him. And my excuse, once I come into contact with his truth of not living by it, is because I choose not to. And instead of blaming God and other people of my mistakes or, or this happened in my life or that happened, I got to take responsibility for myself too. I got to take responsibility for myself that I'm not following God. I can't put it on someone else. I, I like how one uh, woman said it, when they were discussing church in their household, and she was saying, I want to come to church, but my husband and family don't want to. And after a while, she began to think, wait a minute, that doesn't mean I can't. And I know many of you, you do come to church and your family doesn't come, or you do come together as a family. But imagine, even if one person did come to church, there's hope for everyone else. And you might be thinking, oh, no, no, no. My husband, my children, they would never come to church. Somebody said that about you. Someone said that about me. No way they would come to church. 
Some of you are sitting next to people who said the same thing. No way I'm going to church. No, I'm not going to church. No. But there's something that takes place when we say to God, I'm going to trust in you. That, I, that I'm going to take responsibility for my choices and I'm, I'm going to take responsibility for my actions. You know, when, when, when people believed that God was the source of truth, it was because it was God's revelation. That the evidences of God and His, His, His word and, and what He spoke was taken as truth. But then after a while, more people relied on and then glorified reason rather than God's revelation. And the less they relied on revelation, the more they forgot about it and then completely forgot about God's revelation and then went strictly on reason. If you can prove it, then it's true. And that's kind of like a, it's almost like a, it's almost like the theory behind science that if you can prove it, then it's true. And, and, and listen to this statement. If it can't be proven by science, it's not true. But many will tell you that you can't just assume that God exists due to that principle and that statement that you, if it can't be proven by science, it's not true. The problem is you can't see God's revelation. And sometimes you can't audibly hear God's revelation. You take it by faith. That's, that's what we do. And so because... You can't hear God's revelation. You can't see God. Then scientists would say, then God doesn't exist. And not all, but some. And so they say, if it can't be proven by science, it's not true. The problem is, even though you may be on that side, you can't just assume that God doesn't exist. Because you can't prove that either on one side or the other. So what do you do with something that can't be proven? What do you do with the fact that you can't really prove that God exists and you can't really prove that God doesn't exist? Now let's take it into the, uh, kind of like the forensics of it and uh, some detective work because I know some of you, you love CSI. And you love that detective work. And, and some of you are like that. Like when, when something happens, you're driving past an accident, you're saying, okay, the car is facing that way. It's over here. That's over there. The light is over there. You know what happened, honey? The car is turning north. This guy came this way. Boom. That's what happened. I can tell because look, the wind. Yep. And so we, we like that scientific reasoning behind it. And so as, as a detective would, as, as, as forensics would, this is how they would prove something that they really can't prove. They gather as much evidence as possible to prove their case, right? So this is what God did. He gave us all the evidence we need to show his existence. Now you might say, wait a minute, but we live in a world that's falling apart. That doesn't show God's existence. That's because we're way over here after the fall of man. We're way far from the beginning of time. So we're seeing the ramifications 
of Adam and Eve's sin. So we're seeing the repercussions. God brought Jesus Christ so that we could live free from all of these things trying to weigh us down to glorify him and to live a life of faith in him. And so he, he gives us all this evidence. I was talking to my sister the other day, and she's a professor uh, at one of the universities on Oahu. And, and she said, you know, for one of our studies, we had to study the human eye. Just the human eye. And she said, just with what we studied, if after you study that, you don't believe that there's a creator, then something is definitely wrong with your brain. That's what she said. She's not some uh, 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 religious theologian. She's just a person who studied the eyeball. Just the eye. That's just one part of God's creation of the human being. God gives us evidence. We choose not to follow that evidence. We choose not to put our faith in Him. And we choose not to receive his truths you know what is interesting that when you gather all the evidence you can and you act on the evidence you you act in line with what you have good reason to believe is true you know what that's called faith that even people who do not believe in god even scientists who do not believe in god have faith and many may not want to admit to it but they have to act on faith sometimes. You ever saw, you know, how many of you guys saw Jurassic Park? Like in 1990, I don't know, long time ago. Okay, it was about the dinosaurs and, and, and things like that. But when that movie first came out, it looked so real. The computer graphic imagery, we call it CGI, and, and the technology, oh, it was unbelievable. You know, when the Velociraptors or whatever they're called came out, or raptors, I don't even know what it's called. They came out, it, it looked so real. And then, oh, that was a big word for me. Praise God, I got it. But it's not even a word, but I said it. And when we saw that movie, it was like the, the greatest, greatest movie of, of computer technology. But you watch it now, it's like, what? It looks so fake. But how did these people know how these animals moved? How, how did they know the Tyrannosaurus Rex moves like that? How does it know? How do they know? You know what they do? They gather as much evidence as they can from fossils and then from live animals with the sinews and the muscles and tendons and all of that. And then they act on faith to put everything together. Faith is what we hope for, the evidence of things unseen. When you put your faith in God, it's because He's... He's definitely shown himself to you. But you got to choose so. Wouldn't it be ridiculous for us to gather all the evidence? Because we've done this before. Walk into our home, chocolate wrappers all over the place, your kids sitting with chocolate all over their face. And you say, who did this? <laughs> Not me. Say, like, wait a minute, you're the only child living in this house. We have no more babies. Who and, and, and there's chocolate all over the place, chocolate wrappers. Did you do this? No. It's like all the evidence is there. How can you not say that this person, unless someone set them up at two years old and your husband in the room laughing, it could be, it could be. 
However, most likely it's that person. That's the evidence. And it would be foolish of us to see all the evidence that God gives to us and then say, God, I choose not to put my faith in you. Ever since God created the world, his invisible qualities, both eternal, both his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen. They are perceived in the things that God has made so people have no excuse at all. So we put our faith into him because we, we don't have excuses. But where does faith come from? Do we just conjure it up and, and faith is like wishful thinking that hopefully this is true. Hopefully God exists. Where does faith come from? Here's the second statement. Faith and truth comes, it comes from God's word. Faith and truth comes from God's word. Now, like many people, and, and you might be here too, you might say, yeah, but God's word has been translated over and over. It's been translated. Well, you've got to know the difference between transcribed and translated. Translated into different languages is different than being transcribed. And some people say, well, I don't believe in the Bible because it's changed over thousands of years. And, and here's what I want to say. If you're thinking that way, and if you know people who say, oh, I, don't, I don't read the Bible because it's, it's outdated, and it's not the original manuscripts. I would ask this question. So what do the original manuscripts say? And you know what they'll tell you? I don't know. I don't read them. I, didn't, I don't know. Then that tells me, again, we're choosing not to get into the word of God. Because if my excuse is, oh, no, it's, it's been changed since, you know, since the original manuscripts, that means I'm saying the original manuscripts are true. Why don't I follow that? Oh, I don't know Aramaic. I don't know Hebrew. I don't know Greek. That's why it's been translated. So we get into the Word of God so that our faith is built. Faith and truth comes from the Word of God. Everything comes from something. Everything comes from something. What if something didn't come from something? Oh, now you can pay attention. What if something didn't come from something? Because everything comes from something. Right? Everything comes from something. Some of you looking at me so confused. Everything comes from something. Everything comes from something. Now, what if something didn't come from something? You know why it's so confusing and so hard to kind of wrap our minds around is because we only know of things that came into existence by something that was already existed before it. This flooring, it didn't just appear, it came from something else. The chairs you sit on, it's been manufactured by someone or something. The metal that you sit on, it's from somewhere, it's manufactured by something. Everything comes from something. But if there was something that did exist that didn't come from something, wouldn't that be like the most powerful thing? Because it like self-existed, like it was always here kind of sounds like God. Now here's where our brains cannot fathom this because we live in this kind of world of what we call learning. The moment you're born, your brain is already functioning to, to what it was designed to do and your brain was functioned and programmed and, and uh, created to learn. So when we learn in this world, as we continue to grow up, all we know is what I see and what I learn has come from something. 
So imagine living with that kind of philosophy for your whole entire life. And then you come to a place of life, teenager, uh, young adult, uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever. That you come to a place where now you understand that there is a God that has always existed, who loves you, and wants to have a relationship with you. So now you're trying to wrap your brain around that and you're saying, wait a minute. Where did God come from? Oh, he always existed. Wait, that's, that does not register in our minds. How could he always existed? How could God come from nothing? There had to be something before God. And if there was something before God, then that is something. That was nothing. Nothing is something. So now we're thinking, where did God come from? That's the whole point. That's why he's God. That's why we're not. We only understand something came into existence because that's all we've learned. One day, Heidi and I were driving, and my son, Justin, he's 25 now, but he was probably around four years old, five years old. He just leans over to us. He goes, hey, Dad, uh, where do babies come from? I was like, oh. I looked at Heidi. She goes, yeah, Dad, where do babies come from? <laughs> Easiest answer, you, so tell them. And then I just kept driving. And I thought, even a four-year-old is wondering, where does something come from? Where do these things come from? What, how, how, how do these things come into existence? Because something comes from something, unless you're God. Our intellectual mind cannot fathom God. It cannot, on its own, decide, due to reasoning, say that God exists. That's where faith comes in. You're going to have to gather all the evidence and then with the faith that you have in God, put your faith in Him. See, there is a huge amount of evidence for God, Jesus, and the Bible based, and based on this evidence, it's, it's reasonable to believe that God reveals His truth through His revelated Word, His revelation, and through who He is and what He has done. That's where we find God's revelation. It's in His Word. Look at what Romans tells us. This is where faith is. So faith, as Romans 10, 17 says, so faith then comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I don't hear the word of God, if we don't speak about the word of God, if we don't speak scriptures, we're not going to develop our faith. That's why we must get into the word of God. That's why this church must preach the Bible. We must get into the word of God. Otherwise, if, if we don't, then we won't develop faith. And if we're not listening, then we're not going to develop our faith. It comes from hearing the word of God, not just being in a place where God's word is spoken. I got to hear it. We got to listen. Uh, the other day, I, I snuck in Heidi's gift and under our Christmas tree. And, and so I just walked in the house and just dropped it and just kept walking. And I'm thinking, I wonder how many days she won't notice this gift. Days was like minutes, not even minutes. She's sitting down and all of a sudden, something's out of place in this home. Something is, yeah, north wind, east, yeah, facing, okay, oh, lateral 22. Oh, there it is. And she goes, hey, is this my gift? And I says, yeah, don't touch it. What does she do? Touches it. So she looks in it because it's in a bag. She goes, that's my gift. I said, yeah, don't touch it. Don't even look in it. So what does she do? She looks in it. 
So she opens it up. She's looking at it. I said, Heidi, don't touch it. It's your gift. You're not supposed to open that till Christmas. You got to wait. Does she wait? No. So she keeps looking. I said, Heidi, 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 no. Enough. No. It's, that's your gift. You're not supposed to open it yet. She looks up at me. You know what she tells me? She goes, I know listen. I know listen. I said, we tell our grandkids, you know listen. You know listen. And I told her, I said, you don't have to tell me. I know you're not listening. I'm telling you not to look in it. You're looking in it. And I wonder how often God would say to me, you know listen. I've given you my word. You know listen. And I just want to do whatever I want to do. He says, you, you want to develop faith? It's going to come from hearing. That's what it's going to come from. That's why I love our connecting groups that we're going to be developing next year and, and our connecting conference and the, our small groups and our Bible studies. It's going to come from hearing the word of God. That's where our faith is going to be built. Faith and truth go hand in hand. I, I love that the Bible holds the truth for all kinds of circumstances and, and, and we can trust it for answers for all kinds of questions. And it may not give you the specifics, but the principles are there. Jesus gives a prayer, his longest recorded prayer, and here's a portion of it found in John 17, 16 and 17 regarding truth. And Jesus says, and he's praying to God the Father. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He's talking about his disciples. He says, sanctify them by your truth. And then he makes this statement, your word is truth. It's like Jesus wanted to be crystal clear what was truth. He says, your word is truth. What God speaks is truth. That's where we find truth. He says, sanctify them by your truth. To sanctify means to separate from profane things and dedicate to God or to purify or to cleanse externally, to purify by expi uh, expiation, which is to free from the guilt of sin or to purify internally by renewing of the soul. So the Bible is saying, oh, Jesus' prayer is saying, sanctify them by your truth. And none of those things happen to be separated from profane things or to be purified or to be free from the guilt of sin. None of those things happen without our faith in his truth. That's where we're cleansed. It's, it's by his truth. That's why when you get into the word of God and we read certain things, oh, it just hits us and, and we can see where we need to change. Not because God doesn't love us the way we are, but because God loves us that much. Imagine if you just told your children, no need bathe, no need change clothes, just daddy and mommy loves you just the way you are, no need change diaper, just, just stay like that, I love you no matter what, and we do, we love them no matter what, but we love them enough to change them and help them, aren't we? Aren't we? I mean, do we? We love them that much. And God says, I love you that much, I love you that much to help you in this process called life. I want to help you to become better and better and better. And Jesus prays that for us. And it's freely available but rendered untouchable until we attach faith to his truth. Truth is mentioned over 200 times in the Bible. That tells me God is trying to get our attention regarding truth. The last thing that I will need is I will need faith to follow God's truth. We're going to need his faith to follow his truth. Faith and truth go hand in hand. We're going to need his faith to follow truth because there are going to be times that his truth will not make sense to us. But that's when you walk by faith. There are going to be times in your marriage that you're going to, you're going to say, Lord, this doesn't make sense. 
It doesn't make sense for me to do this in my marriage, but I'm trusting in you. And God says, you go for it. I'm, I'm healing your marriage. God, it doesn't make sense for us to go out on a date night. Waste money. God's saying, no, 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 attorney fees are way more expensive. <laughs> so you want to take care of it on the front side. You might, you might feel like, oh, my family is falling apart, but Lord, you're asking me to spend more time with them. It's not me, it's them. And God says, this is what I'm asking of you. And you're saying, but it doesn't make sense. God is saying, that's where you got to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen with my health. I don't know about, about so-and-so, and I don't know about their healing. I don't know what's going to happen. But I trust your word. I trust your truth. That's where we walk by faith because sometimes our eyesight ruins God's promises. Here's how it says it in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. So you might be asking, well, okay, so what if what if I cannot trust what I don't see? What if I can't, what if I, get, I, I can't just, with all the reasoning that I'm thinking about, I can't trust what I don't see? Then I would say, then trust in the one who can see what we can't see. Because he does. He sees everything from beginning to end. In fact, Jesus knew we'd struggle with this, so this is what he did. In John 16, 13, this is what Jesus tells us. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. And I always thought of, oh, he's going to tell me about the future. I'm going to learn about the future and, and events that are going to take place and, and specifics about my future and wh where am I going to live, what home am I going to live in. What will my family look like? Am I going to have two boys, two girls, one boy, one girl? What is it going to look like? And, and it's not being specific to that nature. And if God reveals that to you, then great. But what Jesus is saying is there are going to be times where you're trying to visually see the future, but you can't. So you need the Holy Spirit to come in because he can to guide you unto all truth, not to guide you unto all sight. That's where we get messed up. We try to visually see the plan that God has for us. And he says, it doesn't work that way because you're going to see more destruction in this world than you will if you put your faith in me. Because once your faith is in me, no matter what is happening around you, your faith is in me, not in your circumstances or what surrounds you. It's in me. Therefore, you're going to be walking in this world by faith, not by what you see. When the world is falling apart, when the government is falling apart, when, when politicians don't do what you want them to do or, or do things that we would want them to do or certain things are, are uh, into action and we're saying, oh, where do we go from here? And what is our world going to look like? God says, hang on. You're putting your faith into something else. You put your faith into me. Put your faith in me. Because faith attached with my truth equals my promises. And you can rest assured that God will lead us because he gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us, guide us into all truth. You know what is, is uh, very uh, comforting is that not everything that's true is in the Bible. Not everything that's true is in the Bible. Like gravity, aerodynamics, and things like that. 
yet we hold true to those things. We understand that they're real. And not everything that's true is in the Bible. However, everything that's in the Bible is true. And that's what we've got to separate. We must separate what we see by what God has already spoken. We can't mix the two together. That's where faith and truth come in. See, it's a good standard for discerning truth that's not specifically addressed in the Bible. The Word of God and His principles, our faith in Him and His truth, it's a good standard to live by. And when you cannot answer specific questions, there are hundreds of principles, thousands of godly principles that will help us as we walk by faith in following God's truth. One of the scriptures I like is where it says, whatever is, is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is admirable, think upon these things or dwell on these things. That scripture helps for all kinds of things. You know when you're, you're, you're thinking about, about someone else and you're saying, oh, I just like get back at them. I'm going to get some revenge on them. And the Bible may not specifically say to you, when someone does that specific thing, you're not to react in this way. It may not say something specific, but I got to get back to, okay, wait a minute. I got to dwell on good things. I got to think about good things. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26, it says, Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Don't be held captive by the devil's traps. Put your faith in the truths of God's word and in God. Then you'll experience the blessing from the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Then God would be glorified, not chance or coincidence or karma or luck. And at that point, you will know the truth. And it's at that point that you will be set free. Amen. And put away your Bibles and your notes. I want to conclude with this story. I, I heard this the other day, and, and I thought, boy, that's just a, a horrifying experience. In London, there are three women who were rescued from being enslaved, imprisoned due to human trafficking. For 37 years, they were held captive. It's such a sad story, but a great ending. The oldest, I believe, was about 67, 68 years old. So that person was sold into slavery or traded into slavery at about age 30 or early 30s. The second woman was probably mid-40s. So as a teenager, she was given into slavery. And they all lived in the same house. But the youngest one was... 37 years old. So they're still investigating because they don't know if that child was born in that house from one of the women who was enslaved by the master or, or they don't know or if it was, the baby was kidnapped. They, they just don't know. All they know is this. After talking with them and, and setting them free, there were differences in their views. The eldest, who was in her later 60s, she was so relieved. 
because she understood what life was like to be free. She understood. She understood she was held captive. She understood what life was like on the outside. She understood what was happening. The second one forgot about freedom because she was a teenager when she was taken. And it's like freedom was such a blur. I don't know what it feels like. I've forgotten what it felt like to be free. I don't know what that's like. But she was once there. The worst one was the 37-year-old. The 37-year-old thought that's what life was all about. She lived in captivity, thinking, this is all my life is worth. This is all I got. Her brain, her body, her emotions, everything adapted to being imprisoned. And she didn't even know she was in prison. But boy, when she got out, the freedom she experienced was beyond words. And I thought, Lord, we may fall into those categories. For some of us, maybe we came to know the Lord at a later part of life and and maybe we appreciate, we understand what it was like to live in a life of slavery to sin, but because of the free gift of God through Jesus Christ, that now we're free from the guilt and shame of, of sin, and, and now that burden has been lifted off. And you might be in the second category that you don't know what freedom is like anymore. You don't know what it's like because you've drifted from God. Maybe you came to know God at one point, but now you're at a place where you're saying, I don't know where I am with God. Maybe you're like the youngest one, the 37-year-old, and you're saying, there is no hope for me. What do you mean freedom? Freedom from what? This is the life I know. I am in guilt. I am in shame. I am in imprisoned. I, I don't even know I'm in prison. All I know is this is all I got. And we, we got to remember this. I want to read it. For those of you who feel like there's no hope. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. You may not have been there when Christ came to this earth. You may not have been there when Christ died on the cross. You may not have been there when Christ resurrected from the grave. But this is the hope that we have in God. You may not have been there, but God was always there by your side. Therefore, we have hope because the evidence is not in us and it's not in the world. The evidence is all in the birth of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And if that's all the evidence that God would ever show us, that's all the evidence we need to understand God's unconditional love for you and I. What does faith have to do with truth? Every single thing. 
That's the God we serve. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And that's why we choose truth. Amen. You bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, without your love, without your word, without your truth, there is no hope left. But you have given us more than enough evidence to put our faith in you. So Lord, I pray for all of us as, as we continue to develop this relationship with you, as we continue to, to get into your word and, and do our very best to live a life that's pleasing to you. Help us to balance out our faith and your truth and, and for us to live in such a way that it's our worship to you. You may not forget that faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. So help us with our devotional time with you, reading your word, praying to you, Lord, speaking with you. And, and sometimes it may be awkward at first, but like any relationship, it takes time to develop. But you're willing. You're willing, Lord. You wait with anticipation to connect with us. So thank you for allowing us the privilege of being in your presence to connect with you. We're so grateful. And we thank you for this season that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Because it's in your name, Lord, that we pray these things. And we all said, amen.